0: And Hound
1: podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast supported this month by a keep. I'm Pippa Room magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. Well I hope you're all surviving the winter we are in the depths of those long dark nights now but uh, Christmas and perhaps more importantly the London International Horse Show are in sight and the shortest day will be behind us pretty soon. This month on the podcast we're bringing you an interview with emily king she talks about what she's learned from her five-star campaign this year and growing up with multi medalist mary king as her mother you know mum was not
2: pushy she very much said you know if you want to do this you have to do this you know on your own you have to find your own owners your own sponsors you know they never bought me a
1: pony never bought me a horse we'll then hear from a Keith saddle sales manager sally bacon She has some advice for us on when to call in a qualified saddle fitter and what to expect
0: during that visit. When you go to tighten the girth, the horse might show signs of discomfort, swishing the tail, stamping the foot, turning the head round to maybe nip or bite. These are all indications that it's time to give your qualified saddle fitter a call. So pick up the reins, let's get started.
1: So our guest this month is a young event rider who is a medalist at junior young rider level and has been placed at five star as she starts to forge her way as a senior competitor. I'm delighted to welcome Emily King to the Horse and Hound podcast. Hello, Emily, how are you? Hi Pippa I'm good thank you how are you? Yes I am pretty good thank you and I have to ask because I know that when we were setting up this podcast at the start of this week you were over at the Monarch sale in Ireland so the first question I have to ask you is (laughs) did you buy any horses?
2: Well we we did actually well when I say me it was actually an owner we work with she did do a cheeky little purchase last night which was very exciting and um, actually one that we were hoping to get just went a little bit too high so we then had to yeah let that one go on to someone else but no it was um it's always an exciting thing to do this time of year when, when the season finishes it's something to look forward to
1: <laughs> yeah no i've been to that sale once and it's uh it's fun and i presume it's quite a good opportunity to see a lot of young horses together and compare them rather than having to trawl around a lot of different yards
2: yeah completely and i mean god they had even more this year i think they had around 160 i think i'm right in saying and sammy crowed my partner and his mum penny and my mum we all sat at Monarch in that indoor school and watched 160 horses which was you then you yeah you're pretty pretty horsed out by the end of it all but then it's amazing how it's nearly like then when the ones that are you know maybe a bit more special they do really then show through because you have that many that high volume of horses but um yeah as you say at least they're all in one place and it's yeah it's always fascinating seeing how they then you know mature from from the sales some some turn out super super superstars and some just you know really nice types so hopefully this one
1: will be a superstar <laughs> yeah definitely But well, it's good dedication to sit through a uh, 163 year olds. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well you nearly i always think like you do de- you, some part of you feels like you deserve to come home with a semi good one or a bargain or something when you've just like sl- you've sat there in the cold in the shed and watched 160 babies. You're like,
1: come on. I think we deserve to find the needle in the haystack. <laughs> Definitely, more than the people who just stayed at home and watched the videos. <laughs> <laughs> that like,
2: that's not fair. You haven't got cold. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Definitely. Uh, well, Emily, I wanted to get you on this podcast because I feel like you've had some really great results this year. And I just thought it'd be good to reflect on that a little bit and where you are with your good string of horses. And I wanted to start off by talking about a horse called Jackpot. And I know you've had four international wins this year and three of them have been with him floors mill street and osbiton all at the three star level he's a horse who belongs to vicky and Stuart earlham and just tell us a bit more about him what's his story how did you get the ride on him um so yeah he's a he's a really exciting horse he um so
2: yeah as you say owned by vicky and Stuart earlham and i've been riding them riding for them for a good few years now um sam my partner has ridden for them for many many years and it actually I started working with them um, I think it was about uh, three years ago now when their rider that did ride for them um, their girl rider stopped riding for them basically she did the smaller horses and Sam did the bigger horses in in a nutshell and so then when this other rider stopped riding for them she was looking for someone to do these three um, these three horses and a little bit produce the idea was really to produce and sell them but then if one or two you know maybe turned out to be really good ones we keep them and um anyway we they i competed them for a year and then they two of them got sold and basically there was a bit of money in the kitty to look for another one and um so we were sort of keeping an eye out for one not you know really looking everywhere but just keeping our eyes peeled and it was actually mum who knew um jackpot um because she so he was formerly ridden by polly schwert um who mum knows quite well who actually lives quite locally to mum down down in devon and i think she had seen jackpot around and about as a young horse and i think also knew that polly wasn't intending on competing at the top anymore but she was she's superb at finding them and producing them and i know she said to polly if you ever get to a point that you feel you might want to sell him can you let us know and it was a little bit like sort of meant to be in a way that we had you know some money to spend and um it came to that point that polly decided she would be willing to reluctantly but would be willing to part with him and and that's how it came about and it was just yeah he's been a a, a superb horse so far and just been you know our first season together i mean polly's done a superb job producing him um you know left no stone unturned but produced him really quietly and slowly not overfaced him so this year's been a really a lovely year actually you know just you know not rushing him getting used to him um and he's he sort of hasn't been run competitively much um with Polly so I was conscious not to step he'd he'd done in advance with Polly but I was conscious not to sort of step him up too quickly I wanted him to just get used to me and get used to also running quickly being competitive you know getting his body fit and I mean yeah as you say he's with looking at his results and that's you know knowing him as a you know his character and everything how he's come on he has just yeah, he's he's pretty impressed us this year.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. The only glitch on his sort of international record this year was at Blenheim. What happened oh, there? I okay. uh, we'll have to I, ask.
2: <laughs> I was absolutely pants and I fell off, basically.
1: Um,
2: <laughs> which was really not what you should do. I mean, I've, it's probably a video I've looked back, watched back millions and millions of times, and you'd say you would not copy my lower leg and my core strength in this, um, one instant. Um, so basically it was the, um, yeah, the second water complex at Blenheim, you ran through the, you know, like the lake crossing. And then we went up the hill and there's like a pond there and there was a a box brush on the brow of the hill before you then dropped down to the water and, um, we jumped it, I think maybe in hindsight, for a greener, a little bit of a green horse. I was a little bit underpowered and he jumped just very carefully, went a bit up and down over the box brush and basically jumped it. And then as he got up to height, I think he looked at the water as well, which was quite beyond, but then didn't complete his jump. And he catched his toe on the back of the box brush, which then um, unseated me a bit forward. And then when he landed, he pecked and then I fell off. <laughs> Oh. which he didn't fall over he didn't do anything dramatic he was all he did was clip his toe and um, yes I toppled off which was very embarrassing but that's it It was something that was so you know he was a bit greener which was fine he was you know expecting him to it was his biggest um you know question he's done but you know what's nice he didn't really do anything wrong um you know not as if he stopped or ran out or did anything naughty he just did a little baby trip and I toppled off.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, he were able to come back and have another win after that anyway. And, um, what do you think would be sort of in store for him at the beginning of next year? Where should people look out for him? So, yeah, I mean, he's a horse with a huge amount of ability,
2: um, and he's just, you know, green with, you know, getting out there, running competitively, being sort of stretched, not only physically, but I think his brain more than anything, sort of taking it all in. So we were conscious to use this year to, as I said, not rush him up to four-star, but get him used to running competitively at sort of OI three-star level, um, which I feel we've sort of achieved. Um, So now I think it would be to... Yeah, next year he'll he'll, you know, get out, get in get in the groove. And then when he's feeling ready, it would be to get him established at advanced four star level. Um and, you know, he's got a he's a super impressive horse, movement-wise, jump-wise. Um he is still learning his flying changes. So that's one thing that like at Blenheim, he did a lovely test, but he didn't get either of his flying changes um cleanly. So that's something that's um winter winter work is commencing and um and then you know his gallop because he's never been polyproduced, produced him you know beautifully but carefully he hasn't been pushed gallop wise um coming up through the grades so it's something again he probably would have the brain and be up for doing sort of a four star long sometime but i'd want to make sure he's definitely fit enough and ready to gallop and take it on before um before putting him in one. So I think, yeah, definitely, you know, getting him out, getting him up to four-star and just trying to get him established, you know, happily at advanced four-star. And then when he feels ready, trying to be competitive and then hopefully a four-long in the not-too-distant future.
1: Brilliant. Well, definitely an exciting one for people to look out for. And I also wanted to chat to you about your top-level campaigner, Valmy Beats, because you've had a really interesting year with him. And you've had to ride on him for a couple of years. Remind us of his sort of background and where he's from.
2: Yeah, so he's owned by his breeder, Philippe Brevois, who's a a huge supporter and horse producer um, for the eventing world. And um, I started riding Valmy for him... I think I'm correct in saying this would be um, this was my third year with him I think so I'll be going into my fourth year and he was produced he actually has been with a few riders um, as he's you know done his career he's been with a few riders in France I know William Fox Pitt um, Tom Chris both had him for little stints Um, but yeah basically Philippe is fantastic at breeding and creating the horses and he tries to find riders that you know suit the horse but you as a rider have to um fund the horses so obviously that's not everyone is not possible for everyone um so i think i think that more than anything is why the horse has moved around a little bit so i think nice he's been with me for a good few years now you feel it's sort of nice for the horse to have a bit of you know <laughs> continual um training and get to know a rider well um and that's also only been possible because i've um worked with the event horse owner syndicate who have basically came on board to help with valmy's running costs um, and also jeremy and jackie Shear have helped support valmy so that's been financially the syndicate and jeremy and jackie have helped enable me to keep working with valmy which i was being i'm so grateful for that because again the horse is a wonderful horse and i feel you wouldn't be given justice if he'd have to switch to another rider and start the whole process again sort of thing. Um, so no, being really fortunate to work with him being he'd be again, a little bit late coming because of how he's been produced with different riders. So not through any fault of his own or through any injuries just from, yeah, switching from rider to rider. Um, but he's now at that level, you know, he's done, I think I'm right in saying, um, sort of, three or four five stars um um yeah burley having completed burley this autumn and he's so it's lovely to have him now you know he's up at the top level he's doing it and it's now just trying to fine-tune everything and get everything really good so he can now try and be competitive at that um top level
1: yeah. And sort of talk me through that this year because you were eighth with him at Poe at the end of last year and then won Thorsby in the spring. And I was looking at your record and kind of thinking that this year for the pair of you has been a real year of building experience at the top level. You know, you've had three five-star runs and nothing; none of them have been disastrous, but it hasn't quite all come together at any one of them. And how have you sort of felt that you've progressed through that and what have you learned? yeah so it,
2: exactly that he had a, a really great start to the spring and he's a real powerful brave galloping horse and actually when you know we had such a wet spring on a horse like him you don't really notice it he's so powerful um so he had a great start and like there at Thorsby, had a good spin around there and i was not <laughs> expecting to win whatsoever and i'm sure it was helped by a lot of people withdrawing. drawing don't get me wrong but um it was fantastic for him to have a result like that because he is he's a super horse and it really, you know, set us, you know, set us out on the right foot for the season. Um Badminton, just the going, he really he's such he's a he's a superb horse and he tries his heart out. And um he was just I could feel him just getting to really, really tired. And I hadn't I basically got um up to the lake. I jumped the lake and he was just doing it, but he was like busting a gut to do it and you know if maybe there's a, only a couple fences left and i would have nursed him home but i knew there was another i think there was about four more minutes of galloping uphill to huntsman's close big questions still left to do and i thought it's just not fair on the horse to be you know pushed to do that if it was anywhere else apart from badminton it wouldn't cross your mind to not pull them up and i thought you know what that's you know when you're you just have that gut feeling sometimes and yeah you do question it But after you do it you think oh gosh was that the right thing but you know i think in the moment you have to trust your gut feeling and but it was nearly it was a shame because he was just foot perfect up until then i feel it's then sort of the round up until that point and then gets slightly forgotten about which which is a shame but then you know from a rider's point of view and me knowing him we learn a huge amount from each other from that um and yeah had a fit sound horse to take home and try again which so then yeah he went out to Lemoulin and he did one of his best um tests he's done did a super test and then was superb cross country i just a little bit messed up my line to a skinny and um he actually didn't he didn't really run out he basically didn't even see it he was his head was a little bit low i was still turning and he's a horse that would never ever or, well touchwood never has done look at a fence and then nip out that's not his doesn't seem to be in his in his um sort of repertoire and I feel again at Lemoulin that's not what happened. He hadn't really basically been given the chance to lock onto this skinny and ended up just cantering past it and I came around represented, he saw it, he jumped it um, and cruised around the rest of the course easy peasy, and then jumped to super clear on the last day. So it was again, you know huge amount learned and you know me learning him, him getting used to me, but just on paper not not perfect. <laughs> um and then yeah had a good spin with him at burgeon after his sort of summer holiday he was superb at burgeon and it was so tight the scores there and he just finished um yeah third in the four star there um and then i thought right i'm not gonna have many horses as brave and as bold as him to give burley a a crack a crack with so we that's where we decided to enter there and he was a little bit the same as, as we've been saying, not quite perfect, but he was superb at Burley. Um, I think he's a very brave, bold, um, proper sort of lion-hearted horse that would just feel you know, like he would just jump anything for you. And it's nearly what Slightly runs himself into trouble or slightly makes it a bit harder for me because he's so brave. You have to sort of think for him a little bit, um, cause I, he has had, I had a fall with him. Um, I can't remember where, and he's had a pin. He's had a couple pins before just cause he's been so sort of brave. And with that in mind, I thought, you know, I really want to basically just get round Burley, you know, try and just, you know, get a, a, like a double clear would be superb, you know, good on the time would be superb, but I'd prefer to have a handful of time and be clear and good than be up on my minutes and then run myself into trouble. Like, um, you yes, know, at badminton um, the year before last, he had a fall at the third to last, which was, again, we a bit gained ground and ended up getting a bit close and he then was a bit brave and maybe in hindsight should have not been quite so cautious at Burley. I should have attacked a touch more. Again, the size of the fences and how imposing they are, do you know back them off and um anyway anyway he was superb i just properly messed up at a plain railed oxer fence and ended up having the pin which was not his fault at all it was mine i missed my stride altogether and there's nothing else nothing to blame it on apart from me and um luckily he was fine this happened it was after the trout hatchery so it was sort of a third um of the way around maybe sort of coming up to a half. Um, So then I had to, you know, make sort of all in a very short space of time. Checky was all right. Um, And then get going and not get going. You you can't get going half-heartedly around Burley. You have to properly get going. And so I did. I was like, right, let's go. Let's do this. I dropped my whip in the mean, um, whilst I had this crunch over the pin, I dropped my whip and also his stud girth, had got slightly caught on the fence. So his saddle had quite slipped back, which was, so a few things were feeling a bit strange, and I thought, jump the next fence, and I jumped it a little bit half-heartedly, and I thought, right, you're going to have to, you know, get your act together, you can't go around Burley like this. And actually, what was really funny, as I jumped this next fence, someone who I think must have been maybe slightly oblivious of what just happened and what I was questioning in my mind, they were, they, I could hear them shout, saying, come on, Emily, you keep on going, you're doing great. And I was like, right, okay, let's do this. <laughs> And I think they probably hadn't realized I was actually questioning pulling up because it was all, you know, it didn't feel quite right. Anyway, so I kicked on and he cruised around the rest superbly. You know, all those big questions, um, all those famous, you know, iconic fences that you dream of jumping. He just cruised over. And, yeah, who's to say how he would have finished if, because I then took my foot a bit off the gas, having had the pin and having a bit of that moment to work out if I def- if I was definitely continuing or not so I knew I was a little bit down on my time and I thought there's no point going mad and pushing him thought I'd just get him home safe and sound and use it as a real learning thing um which he did and then he showed jump really well on the last day and is yeah fit and sound and ready to go next year.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's great to hear you kind of reflect on that progression. Cause like I said, it's been a, a year of rebuilding really experience and he does such a, a good test and you know, together you do such a good test. So it does feel like when it comes together, you will have a really competitive result. Do you think you're taking back to badminton in the spring next year? I think so. I think, um, cause I'm yet to complete badminton <laughs> and
2: I think again, there's not many horses I'll be you know, lucky enough to ride that have his, yeah, his bravery. And he's been so close, you know, that year, the year before last, when he fell at the the third or fourth to last, he'd breathed all the hard combinations. And I didn't know him that well, then, you know, now I know that I need to help his bravery at the end, especially if he's a bit tired, he doesn't back himself off. And, you know, those are all the things I have learned from just, you know, doing the five stars. And even when I've had a problem, just kept going, because you don't, You know when they get a bit tired and they need your help and they need their hand being held you can't practice that anywhere can you apart from at those big shows um so i feel now you know he's fit he's healthy he's done a you know a good chunk of badminton before and now i know him better hopefully i can do that bit more to aid him to have the best result possible
1: Great. Well we'll definitely look forward to seeing him next year. And before we let you go, Emily, just tell us a little more about your yard and so on, where you're based, what's the setup? Yeah,
2: so I'm based up in North Wales with my partner Sam Ecroyd. And yeah, I've been up here for God, I think about five, six years now. I lose count, but it's been quite a long time. <laughs> and um see so, yeah, i started at home with mum and then moved up yeah with sam then and no it's been fantastic it's, you know took a while to then you know build up the the owners and get you know just used to the new system up here um but it, it works really well and we run it as you know there's one yard but we actually run it separately separate system sam and i um so we're under the same roof but we have yeah, separate teams as such, separate guys that help us, um, separate everything really, separate systems yet, yeah, but we work together, you know, working the horses and um, you know we're obviously in the school together, um, we'll gallop the horses together. So we'd help each other from like a training point of view as much as each other wants, but we keep the system separate in a, in a hope to not fall out about so much stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's always so, an
1: interesting one couples who uh, work together how yeah. you uh, keep keep your work and personal life separate we
2: <laughs> oh, um, like try I always think there's so there's no real right or wrong with so many things with the horses and you think actually if you can just in a way do your own thing but you are doing it together and you know use each other for the to help each other rather than hinder
1: each other hopefully it will preserve um the relationship is <laughs> as possible. <laughs> Definitely. And Emily, I feel like this is almost a whole separate podcast and we'll have to get you on sometime to talk about it. But I think we should touch very briefly on your sort of upbringing introduction to the sport. Your mum, who we've referenced a couple of times, of course, the multi-medaled event rider, Mary King. Was it always inevitable that you were going to follow in her footsteps? Yeah,
2: I mean, I was a, a crazy, crazy horse kid I think without I mean obviously it must have been influenced by mum being who she was and you know growing up around them but um you know mum was very not pushy um you know she was you know obviously they they were there I was surrounded by the horses but she very much said you know if you want to do this you have to do this you know on your own you have to find your own owners your own sponsors you know they never bought me a pony never bought me a horse I had to sort of find find ponies, find horses and then write to owners, right you know, try and do it myself. Obviously I was very fortunate and had mum there. I had the infrastructure to um, you know, to be able to that was for sure a very helpful leg up. Um but what was what was nice I think is that she, you know, she wasn't pushy at all. If I didn't want to do it, you know, she wouldn't have wouldn't have pushed it, which I think's what's made me you know even hungrier and work harder for it because it's you know so much more rewarding isn't it and um but she's been yeah she's she's been fantastic and i think i think having grown up you know with her and being able to go to like the bigger competitions and see you know how hard it is behind the scenes making everything work just business wise coping with the ups and the downs of just horses and everything. I think that's given me a real insight into what to expect and that, okay, it can seem wonderful and easy breezy and everything's a dream, but it, the reality is quite often far from that. And I think that's, you know, been the main thing that's I've been very lucky to experience before doing it myself, sort of having the heads up on, on what it takes to, to get to where mum is. Obviously I am
1: will always probably be miles off
2: reaching what she's reached but i will um
1: i'll certainly give it a go <laughs> <laughs> excellent that's good to hear well as i say i feel like there's almost a whole nother podcast one day we'll have to do a special and get you and mum on together <laughs> and have a, a double king special i think <laughs> definitely, yeah, <laughs> that would be fun well thank you so much for joining us today emily it's been great to yeah. catch up on your 2023 and look forward to 2024. thank you thank you so much pippa Thank you, Emily, for that great interview. Now it's time to hear from the sponsor of this episode, Akeep. So here's their saddle
0: sales manager, Sally Bacon. Over to you, Sally. Hi, thanks Pippa. I'm Sally Bacon, the new saddle sales manager at Zebra Products, but I'm also an SMS saddle fitter as well. So the two go perfectly together. It's, a, it's like the dream job for me. I'm extremely lucky to work with the Akeep saddles that are made in Italy and they use only the finest materials. Due to the amazing craftsmanship of these saddles, we've secured some great ambassadors, such as Emily King, Laura Collett. I mean, she's had a great year winning Lemoulin five-star. And then there's also Ros Cantor, who's achieved a triple win this year, winning the big badminton five-star, PO Five Star and also the European Championships. The great thing about a keep is that there's so many models available and so versatile and they can be adjusted. Not everyone's always aware, but they can be adjusted as your horse develops. Whether you're a pleasure rider or a professional, such as our ambassadors, horse owners all have the one thing in common, that we want the best for our horses and we have their best interests at heart. The things to look for that may indicate your saddle may need checking are approaching the horse in the stable. So as you go in with your saddle in your arms and the horse moves away, maybe pulling a face, pinning its ears back, uh, this is uh, an indication that the horse isn't happy that you're coming in to tack up to go and do some work. The pulling of the faces, they may also stomp their foot, swish their tail, just generally look grumpy in their demeanor. They may also have girthy behavior so by this I mean when you pop the saddle on and you go to girth your and secure your saddle on the horse that the horse may turn around and go to nip or bite you. Worst cases, they may start to stop at fences and you might notice that they have a shortened Gate. So uh, when you're ans- asking for those lengthened strides, they just find it impossible to, to achieve that. They may also find it hard to use themselves properly. And what I mean by this is, so to engage the hocks, work over their back. So it's near impossible to achieve that lovely rubber ball bouncy feeling uh, when we're working your horses. It's a good idea to have your saddles checked, every three to six months because your horses change constantly. Uh, this could be due to their age, if they're a young horse they're going to continuously change uh, throughout their life but in particular in their young stages uh, they, they develop very very quickly. Um, it might be the amount of work that they're in so if they're a, a fit lean horse um, through the summer but then you give them a holiday in the winter there's going to be drastic changes in their body and their weight through the different workloads um, in the summer naturally there's more grass so there might be a little weight gain there too so these are all things to look for so from a rider's point of view as well um, sometimes you can just feel a little uncomfortable in your saddle and you can't quite pinpoint why uh, this might be just that your saddle is going off to one side slightly Um, Or moving side to side, Um, it might be that your saddle's moving forwards or backwards. These are all indications of when to call your saddle fitter out to sort issues. Or ideally, have your fitter booked in your diary routinely to prevent any problems from arising. So if you do decide to go ahead and organise a visit from your qualified saddle fitter, the things that you can expect are a professional manner and a full introduction As a qualified saddle fitter, we are trained with safety as a main priority for both horse and rider. So as well as taking a template when the saddle fitter visits your yard, they will also do a full assessment of your horse. So that would be in hand, in walk and trot to assess the gait, uh, to, to pick up on any issues whilst untacked. And then they will also carry a full ridden assessment to see what the actual issue is, to see your current saddle on the horse with you in the saddle, to see if there's anything that can be done to um, assist with any issues and to see if there can be changes made to the saddle or whether it is that you have to take the, the plunge and make the investment into a new saddle. Should this be the case, a keep are great for all disciplines, all riders. They're not specific to dressage, they're not specific to jumping, they're not specific to cross country. We can provide a saddle with all different shapes of trees to suit all horses and riders from every discipline, whether it be leisure rider right through to uh, event top event rider, such as our ambassadors mentioned before, we can cater for absolutely everybody. To find your nearest saddle fitter, the Society of Master Saddlers website does list all qualified e saddle fitters, or you can always contact me and my number can be found on the Zebra Products website. It's good practice to have your saddle checked every three to six months, as I said previously, or just pop it in your diary, just like you would the dentist or the farrier just as routine. I hope you found this useful and that your horses stay fit and well. Thank you, Sally.
1: And thank you to you for listening to this episode of the Horse & Hound podcast, supported this month by Akeep. We'll be back at the end of December when amateur show rider Florian Gilston will talk about how she juggles working full-time as a wedding manager with showing her home-produced horses at the top level. So do check back in then. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.